2: Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Barron's Live. My name is Leslie Hendrickson. I'm a reporter with Mansion Global. Today with me are Daryl Fairweather, Chief Economist at Redfin, Militiatis Castinas, Senior Director of Luxury Sales at Douglas Elliman in Florida, and Captain Unger, an agent at Sotheby's International Realty in New York City. Welcome everyone, and thank you so much for being here. We are here to talk about the shifting U.S. real estate market and what that means for sellers. So, Daryl, I'm going to start with you. Obviously, a lot has changed since the beginning of the year. Can you talk about that change and how sellers may be experiencing that?
0: Oh, it's been a complete 180. At the beginning of the year, there was a mad dash of buyers trying to get the last uh, low interest rates that were available because interest rates were rising and it was just like, Can you get in fast enough before they go up even more but starting in late spring early summer interest rates just got high enough that people couldn't stomach it anymore we started to see a pretty sharp drop off in demand and that demand is still it's still weakening and i can expect it to continue to weaken so for sellers that means that If they couldn't get it together to sell earlier in the year and they're selling now, it's a very different market. They're not going to get multiple offers. Most likely they're probably going to have to accept an offer under asking price. They're probably gonna have to accept contingencies like inspection contingencies and financing contingencies, but it's still possible to get your home sold, especially if it's priced right and uh, it's a desirable home. So it's not like, you know, the sky is falling, but it is very different from earlier in the year.
2: Right. And how does that apply to luxury homes? Obviously, luxury is a slightly different category. People aren't as affected by interest rates because they're cash deals, but they are affected by markets. So how are luxury sellers experiencing this?
0: Well, I think luxury homes are, are hitting it, are feeling it harder because it, it's literally a luxury to buy a luxury home. And if you look at your stock portfolio and it's not so high or you're worried about a recession, You're not going to be buying a luxury home. You're going to be uh, buying something more conservative uh, that you know you can afford even if the economy takes a turn. And then also higher interest rates. That really adds up when you get into the million, two million dollar range. For a median home in San Francisco, the monthly payment has gone up by about $1,000. And not a lot of people have an extra $1,000 lying around to be putting towards their mortgage, especially if they have other options. Like they can go work remotely and buy a home somewhere else or buy a more affordable home.
2: So you had a recent report from Redfin indicated about 20% of sellers across markets had lowered their price in July. Do you see that continuing to happen, that, that people have priced too high and they're going to have to step back a little bit?
0: I do think that will continue to happen, especially as we head into September and uh, in the fall and winter, because there's going to be even fewer buyers out there. They're going to be, buyers are, can be thinking about the holidays and back to school season not buying a home so any homes that are still on the market right now there's a good chance they're going to have to drop the price in order to attract a
2: a bid right so um i wanted to talk to you a little bit about florida that's a state that has seen a ton of migration over the pandemic and a year ago agents maybe were advising sellers to go for higher and higher prices and
1: getting those prices how has that changed Absolutely. So that's all true. I think the biggest difference in the South Florida market is inventory. We're coming off one of the lowest ever seen inventory markets. Uh, and quite frankly, adding inventory to the market is our biggest change. Uh, there's a lot of new product coming to market in all different sectors of the space. Uh, but it is the biggest variable right now in our marketplace. Gotcha. And so what, what areas,
2: in, your, in Florida are the hottest right now as we're heading into the fall season?
1: Sure, in terms of areas, I think Palm Beach is a really hot marketplace uh, for single-family homes. In Miami Beach, there's kind of two different sectors that really hit hard. It's the single-family waterfront homes, say the Sunset Islands, the gated community, uh, right in the heart of our city, uh, or uh, the Venetian Islands. And um, I think that overall, uh, You know, those areas are the hottest market, single family home, waterfront.
2: Right. And so um, a lot of people obviously in Florida buy second homes, vacation homes, but we're starting to see more people staying full time. Is that affecting other elements of the
1: community? Sure. So I think what happens is we have more and more sophisticated buyers spending longer time in South Florida. So with that comes the natural stuff, more amenities, more restaurants, food and beverage. We're seeing some of the best restaurants in the world uh, put their footprint here. So having that kind of anchor to neighborhoods is helping the real estate as well.
2: Right. And I'm also wondering, you mentioned Palm Beach. I've heard some people say that Palm Beach is such an exclusive kind of place that they're relatively immune to a housing downturn. Do you think that that's true? And are there other communities
1: that are like that? Uh, So I think the word immune is quite aggressive. Uh, Obviously, there's world affairs going on. And I would be silly to say that's not affecting our real estate markets here in South Florida. Uh, The reason Palm Beach is a, a topic is I find that those larger estate style homes have what I would call a true wealth buyer, a buyer that Although it looks like they made a fast decision to buy there, I think they've been going there for generations. They know the neighborhoods and the areas, and they know where they want to be when they uh, have the opportunity to buy. So I find those uh, purchases to be much stronger uh, long-term hold purchases. Um, So immune, absolutely not. Obviously, uh, effects will come trickle down from all that's going on uh, in the other marketplaces. But Maybe a little more resilient. The uh, same like Miami Beach. At the end of the day, the quintessential Miami Beach location remains a strong, hot product. That, as long as it's a uh, beautifully appointed home, uh, people will pay the price to have it.
2: Gotcha. So we've also seen some folks buying luxury homes and then selling them for you know double the price, maybe six months or a year later. Do you still think there's going to be room for that kind of inter- uh, those kinds of exchanges? so
1: that was a uh, true kind of uh, condition of our market obviously over the past uh, couple years i do think there's opportunity for for buyers to purchase a home maybe they've decided uh that they have to go back to whichever state they came from or things change and i do think there's still room for them to make money on that uh trade you know the idea of doubling the price you know there's no, there's no you know, data that shows you could double the price. But I do think that as long, and it all goes back to as long as it's a great product, people will pay more than the price it was yesterday to have that product. Gotcha.
2: So um, I want to shift to ask you a few questions, on about New York City, which has had clearly a very different path in Florida. Uh, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic, there were greatly exaggerated reports of the death of the city. Right. And then And last year, it was super busy as people looked to return. So What's going on now?
3: Right. So with when COVID actually, during COVID, um, like post-COVID, it was extremely busy. And it was, it's, to add to Mil- Militiardis' point, we had a lot of people who actually migrated to Miami, Florida, and it was almost like this max, mass exodus out of New York. Post-COVID, I mean, it's been extremely busy. I mean, New York City is probably one of the most resilient markets in the world it's always going to be busy. It's an international market. Um, So since international borders reopened, the international peer-to-terre buyers back has been extremely busy. Um, Right now, we are seeing that the home buyer group has been affected by increasing interest rates. There's less affordability and people are more price sensitive. So they are looking at their monthly payment. Um, And, you know, to add to Daryl's point, it's like a thousand dollars more on a, you know, a million dollar purchase, you know, increasing from three to five percent. So people are just more price sensitive. Um, There is and people are looking for value. Mm -hmm.
2: So a few weeks ago, you and I spoke about a property that you sold that um, had been on the market for many years because it was overpriced, despite your advice, which you pointed out to me. But how are you talking to sellers about pricing and and aspirational pricing?
3: Right. So, I mean, that specific property was extremely unique. So there was nothing really to sort of have a comparable for, um, you know, it was a townhome with a footbridge connected to a loft. Um, It was sort of one of a kind property. Um, But in terms of how I have those conversations with sellers I do remind them like the data is public buyers are more sophisticated than ever they can access this information online um and you know we need to be pricing is critical like we if we're not priced right um buyers won't even show up they'll click on the listing they'll look at the pictures and then they'll save the listing until there's a price adjustment um so it's having that very frank conversation having having said that if the seller is abdomen i will give them a price range and i'll tell them we can try a higher price but if in three to four weeks we don't get offers and we're not getting the traffic then it's important we adjust if the goal is to sell because you you never want a seller to feel like they're also leaving money on the table and then in the first week you get an offer and then they reject the offer um, because they feel like they haven't tried the higher number
2: right I'd like to ask you a similar question or that same question, Militianas. How do you talk to sellers about pricing?
1: Well, I think pricing starts with data and I think it's important to know the data. So obviously our conversations basis is a shifting market. And I think one thing that's changed is over the past couple of years, our luxury market really went heavily into the off market space. So I think it's so important to know the comparables that were not public offering. So there's you know two different numbers to consider. There's what uh, can be seen in the MLS, and there's what we know has traded off market. And those those numbers really should play into the pricing strategy. I'm going to have to agree with Captain that um, pricing is extremely important uh, when it comes to positioning a home in the marketplace right now. Um, but uh, also important is when you do the pricing is to know the actual data. So we in South Florida really have to pay special close attention to the off-market trades.
2: Got it. And what do you think about the pricing, Daryl? You, do you have any advice for agents as they go forward?
0: I think it's it's important to just have an honest conversation with the home seller and let them know what you think the price ultimately will be and try to get them to price as close to that as possible, maybe a little bit under. And if the homeowner doesn't want to accept that price, then maybe it would be better for them to wait until the market is more favorable to them. There's no sense in like going through all the effort of listing your home, getting it ready, getting it staged and then pricing it too high just for it to sit on the market for weeks or even months. It's it's just better to go in with clear eyes. Right. I want
2: to remind our audience that you can ask questions in the chat and please feel free to do that. We'll get there, um, get to some of those at the end. Um, so Gerald, I also wanted to ask you about price the prices generally are still going up. you know um, we're still seeing reports of 10% increase year over year. So they're not as high, the number, the increases are not as high, but it's still increasing.
0: So how long do you think that will last? Well, according to Redfin data right now prices are about 5% higher than they were last year and that data is even lagged because it's only on homes that have gone. Uh, that have have, uh, closed. It doesn't count pending sales. We don't know what the final prices will be until they close. So I think that on a month-over-month basis, starting in about June, July, prices have been going down since then, monthly. They usually go down this time of year, but it's been um, more swift decline. And I think by early next year, prices will be pretty much flat from where they were at the beginning of this year. Uh, So I think that it, it... I've been saying for a while it would be better to sell earlier in the year than later, because I think, especially in the winter, it's going to be tough, especially if you're on a tight deadline to sell. But it's possible that by spring, prices will start to recover again. Um, It really just depends on where the economy is at and where mortgage rates are at.
2: Right. Um, And what about inventory? We talked a little bit about how that's increasing in South Florida, but, you know, that's been an an issue over the pandemic and before that. Where, Where do we stand now?
0: Inventory is improving, but not for good reasons. It's improving because homes are taking longer to sell, so they sit on the market longer, which means if you go on a website like Redfin, you're going to see more homes for sale at any given moment in time than you would have seen last year. But that doesn't mean that new listings are coming on the market. If you if you don't like what's there and you wait a couple of weeks, chances are you're not going to see a whole lot that's new that you like either. So from a buyer perspective, it's, it's good in the sense that you can take your time when you tour homes and there's... And, you, and there's more selection at any given moment. But if you don't like what's out there, you're not gonna see a lot of fresh inventory coming online right now.
2: Right, because it, it seemed like there were a lot of new sellers coming on in the beginning of the spring maybe, but then it sort of tailed off. Do you think that's because they don't they won't be able to get the price
0: that they want? I mean, I think a lot of homeowners were pretty savvy and they realized that these low mortgage rates weren't going to last forever and the housing market wasn't going to be booming forever. So they tried to sell earlier in the year. The activity in the housing market seemed to start a lot earlier uh, because there was this ticking time bomb of when were mortgage rates going to go up. So I think anybody who saw, who like planned, knew they were going to sell in 2022, tried to sell earlier. And that's part of the reason why there's so few new listings now, because like, I mean, if you, if you could have planned ahead, you would have planned for earlier in the year.
2: Right. Um, we talked a little bit about the inventory in South Florida. How is it in New York City, Captain?
3: So we saw a good influx of new listings post Labor Day. So this week we are seeing a lot of new inventory come onto the market, um, and yeah, I mean, and it's coming on, you know, sort of flat pricing. We're we already see we've already seen sort of an adjustment here, like in terms of pricing, um, you know, and. I think for a lot of sellers who are coming on, they're probably like more realistic sellers at this point, because brokers are having that conversation with them already. Um, Yeah, so we we are seeing a good amount of inventory. Inventory is going up for sure. Mm
2: -hmm. I I also wanted to ask you about new developments. Um, How much new development are you seeing and are developers having to make concessions in this market for buyers?
3: Correct. So there's more concessions, sort of, we're seeing on the back end. So not necessarily to, you know, prices have have adjusted or developed. Developed. Develop, there's new marketing teams on um, developments which haven't sold, um, and we're seeing more concessions on the back end.
2: Got it. Um, and how is that in South Florida, Milotadas? You have a lot of new developments coming up too. Yes, so
1: South Florida is known for having a a very wide span of new development offerings. And I think that's part of the inventory story. I find a lot of the new inventory that we're seeing that's affecting the numbers is a new development product, which will be delivered in the uh, say next two to four years. Uh, We have a kind of story of being undervalued historically in South Florida, particularly Miami. So uh, there is still movement uh, on the new development uh, section. Uh, in terms of buyers coming from out of state who still see value uh, and also who are maybe not ready to make the full move to Florida. It gives them time. It gives them kind of a payment plan because they're on a deposit structure. So our new development marketplace is quite strong. Uh, I do think through the summer it slowed a little bit and I think there was opportunity to kind of get a deal done. I am noticing now a little more defense on the pricing from developers. And uh, while there's still trades happening, it's a little bit slow, but I personally work in the new development space quite often. And there's definitely an increase of inquiries. I do find that you're not gonna see those transactions firstly, because they don't really post till they close. So the next two to four years, so it's a little skewed, but furthermore on the in-house side, it's taking a little bit longer to get them to transact, but they're still transacting.
2: Interesting. So I'm wondering, um, what the most important things for sellers are right now. You know, maybe a year ago you could sort of list your house and maybe not do as much as you might have done or you may need to do now, you know, with the staging, with the pricing and um, and those kinds of elements. So what what do you think are the most important things for a seller to do to get ready to sell their house? Um, Tiadas, why don't we start with you?
1: So the first thing to do to get ready is I think that there's more – competition and a few less buyers, I want to first start by saying I still think we're in a seller's market here. You know, I think real estate's local and I'm talking about the local South Florida real estate market. We're still in a seller's market. Um, Although, you know, I think there's a little more opportunity on the buy side. The difference I think is there's kind of this slowdown of the multiple offers. And quite frankly, I think that slowdown in the multiple offers kind of helps not skew the mindset of a seller. You know, sometimes the higher dollar amount with lesser terms is not the right solution for the trade or the asset. So um, I think the best thing you could do is position yourself. I think when you hire a real estate professional, you're hiring a marketing professional first. And I think it's important to position the uh, property properly on the marketplace, give it its best stage, because, you know, there's no longer a line of people out the door ready to buy anything they're thinking a little bit more about how they can live in the home they'll take other things into consideration that they didn't take before so my number one advice is to make sure that the property looks good of course to everyone's point is priced uh, fairly and properly and most importantly make sure that it's uh, networked across different marketplaces you know brokerages today like uh, douglas Elman for instance we have a very big network and connection to other marketplaces and i think it's important for us to know where our buyers are coming from, which remains exactly what you think it is. You know, New York, Chicago, California, and making sure we have a footprint there for that seller so that we're you know, capturing the influx of people from those states. We still have large institutions moving to South Florida, and uh, it's important that our listings look great and we can capture those buyers. council do you have
2: anything to
3: add there? Yeah, I agree with all of that as well. Um, looking at it from a local level. And it's all about positioning and pricing. You know, making sure the marketing reaches the demographic who's going to sort of who it's going to who's going to end up buying the property. Um, yeah.
2: Interesting. So we do have quite a few questions from our live audience, um, and the first one from uh, George is. Can you discuss the real estate market of homes below $250,000? He's a personal investor and so far he has not seen any downside changes. Have you all seen any of that? maybe Daryl we'll start with you because I, I think you may have some good insight here.
0: Yeah, I don't, I don't think, I think for that segment of the market, it really hasn't changed as dramatically as, as other parts of the market because People who were looking for a $300,000 home when interest rates were at 3%, maybe now they're having to look at that $250,000, $200,000 range because they can't afford the three hundred dollars plus home anymore. So there's compression at the low end of the market. There's some people who have dropped completely out of buying because they can't afford the mortgage on any homes that are out there. But from what I've seen, it seems like those affordable homes are still selling quite quickly, especially if... There's nothing wrong with them. If they're moving ready and they're affordable, those homes are going. And it's because it's not like they're building new 200000 dollars homes. It's just not cost effective to do that. I think in like any part of the country, no matter how cheap the land is. So if you have a home that already exists that's $250 and there's nothing wrong with it, I think it's gonna I think it's gonna sell pretty easily.
2: Great. Um and we also have a question from Robert what would interest rates have to get to to kill the housing market he's speculating might be seven percent but what do you think
0: daryl it really so i don't like to think about interest rates in a vacuum because there's always a reason behind why the interest rates are high so in this environment if inflation doesn't get under control like if we're still dealing with nine percent around that kind of inflation this time next year, and the Fed's going to have to do a whole lot to raise interest rates. And that's not just going to slow down the housing market, it's going to slow down the entire economy. And we're probably going to enter into a recession if that happens. And the housing market is going to be subject to those recession forces, just like any other sector of the economy. I think what the housing market has going for it, though, is that lots of homeowners still have 3% mortgage rates, and that's not going to change no matter how high rates get. So it's hard to imagine a lot of sellers giving that up and selling unless lost their jobs and they have no way to pay even that really low mortgage payment but yeah i don't think things are going to get that severe um so it's hard to um, it's hard to like think about what is the breaking point because it wouldn't just be the breaking point for the housing market it would be a breaking point for the entire economy and that's that has a lot of uh a lot of implications
2: right gotcha um militanis this question is for you from max what is the best time of year to buy a South Florida home?
1: It's a great question. I find that what used to be a very seasonal market in South Florida, it's slowly becoming less seasonal. So, you know, there used to be more opportunity in the summer and a little less opportunity on pricing in the winter. However, I find that the new opportunity is inventory. And I think in the winter we're seeing more inventory. Uh, I think coming to the reality that, you know, good product is still trading high. I don't mind using the word high because it's higher than it was before. But I do think that the opportunity for a buyer now comes in uh, the form of inventory. And I think winter is when the inventory, you know, comes to market.
2: Gotcha. Um, Hal is asking what the effect of the slowing housing market is on rents. And- Captain, I think that's a great question for right. you as a New yeah. York City broker.
3: <laughs> so I think with interest rates going up and people being able to afford less, people haven't been moving. Um, so what's happened is there's been very little movement in the rental market um, and it's pushed rental prices through the roof. So in some bit, some areas, some neighborhoods, rentals are up like 50 percent from the previous year or from the people who, um, you know, got the COVID deal when the market was down and no one was here and they got the COVID deal, now their rents are up like 50% um, from that year. So very little movement in the rental market. And it just seems there's no, there's very little inventory coming on, Um, you know, so it's very tight.
2: Mm -hmm. And what are you seeing in South Florida, Militianas?
1: So the rental market actually uh, goes up, I find, uh, as interest rates go up. So maybe someone who is planning on, you know, making the shift into purchasing a home and getting a mortgage, I find that they're maybe waiting a little bit to see what happens with the interest rates. So they'll add that extra year onto rental, which is actually increasing the uh, rental rates uh, in our marketplace here in South Florida.
2: Right, Daryl, do you have anything to add about national rents?
0: Uh, yeah i think rents are going to continue to go up they're probably not going to go up as quickly as they have in recent months but as people leave the housing market they go into the rental market and also there's we're still dealing with inflation in like all sectors of the economy from the extra money that's flowing around so uh that's just going to put more pressure on rents like everything else gotcha
2: ira is wondering what your advice would be for someone who wants to sell their house and then buy another And Of course, last year, you know, this has been an issue where people sold their house and then couldn't get another in time, and they were, you know, worried about where they were actually going to live. So, do you see that still as an issue, Gerald? And and how is it working itself
0: out? So, the hard part is that you're going to have to give up whatever interest rate you have on the home you have for a new home. That's will come with a higher interest rate so it's going to cost you more money but if you're fine with that maybe you're moving to a more affordable part of the country or maybe you have a job opportunity or whatever it's worth it it's actually a pretty good time to be a buyer and seller because you can get a contingency accepted that makes it a lot easier you can put it in a home sale contingency when you buy your home when you buy your next home the seller's probably going to accept it because they're not getting many offers to begin with and that gives you time to sell your home so you have the money to pay for your next home without having to take on like some extra debt product, like a bridge loan or stay in an Airbnb or whatever it is. Those things are gonna be very costly. So I think it's a, in terms of moving costs and like and buying your next home with cash, it's actually a pretty good time to, to do that.
2: And are you seeing that in Florida and New York?
1: Um, what, what about Florida? Let's start with that. So I'm not a tax professional, but I always do suggest that my sellers consult the tax professional because there's also the liability Uh, Part of the replacement cost when you're selling your home to buy something new is, you know, in theory, your taxes will go up, your property taxes. So that weighs into the decision to make the move. Our biggest issue, and you're absolutely right by saying it, remains replacement cost and ability to replace. So where you are content in what you have in terms of a location or a neighborhood or a view, you might not be able to get that again, uh, even close to the price that you got it for. A few years ago let alone many years ago and a- along with that change would come likely higher tax liability as well so that takes a big play into the decision to sell and overall there is a replacement cost issue uh, but the bigger issue is where to go what's available and does it meet the uh, needs of you or your family or whatever you know so it's really a difficult uh, conversation for us Right.
3: John, do you have any other thoughts? In New York, I mean, we're we're finding now is probably, you know, it's a a good time. If you're doing a like-for-like change in the same local market, um, you know, it's it's sort of the same trade. It's only like you have to factor in the additional costs of the higher interest rates. Um, So, you know, if you're selling a two-bedroom to buy a three-bedroom in that same market, the savings, you know, if you break it down are sometimes the same. So you may be selling for less, but you're also buying for less. So the like for like trade, you know, could be the same. You know, right. so, and so, you know, there's it's a lot of factors before you obviously sell, so.
2: Right, gotcha. Um, so we have an, another question from Ashley, which is a little bit different, but she asks, with virtual reality being a hot topic across all industries, how do you foresee it playing into real estate? And do you think it will have a positive or negative
0: impact? Anyone, any takers to, to start off with? Uh, I, can, I can take that. So on Redfin, you can see Matterport 3D scans of homes. So you can click through homes if they have it. It's on all Redfin listings and a lot of other listings. Um, and it's, it's really accurate. It's like you're walking through the house, you just click up, down, you can look at any little corner. That was extremely popular during the pandemic because people were moving across the country, they were social dis- distancing, they didn't want to go on open house after open house like in the old days. And I think that trend has stuck around that people are still doing most of their home searches up front online instead of in the olden days when you used to get in your car and drive around to open houses for weeks on end. I think that's why homes are continuing to sell really quickly as long as they're priced right. Because buyers feel more comfortable making those split uh, split second decisions because they've already done all their research ahead of time. So, yeah, I think technology, virtual reality, 3D home tours, it's its kind of changed the game and made the housing market faster. And I think that's going to continue.
2: Right. Interesting. Anything to add, fellas? So I,
1: I, I could add to that. So I agree with Daryl completely. And I think the technology piece of the uh, things like Redfin and also, you know, here in south florida a very big new development marketplace um and also in theory kind of a fantasy marketplace to some buyers uh, sitting remote say in a cold state like new york or wh- whatever uh, uh area they're in i think uh, like to daryl's point is it's adding to the sophistication level of the buyer they're coming very educated on the product uh especially new development products so when they're able to physically walk through one of those properties, it's, it, it's seeming more and more that they know more about the product than ever before, because there's so much information at their fingertips. So when the consumer uh, takes advantage of those technologies, to Daryl's point, again, it's a little more laser focused purchase. So it's a little bit easier on the selling side, uh, when they have all that information upfront, and so vivid and clear through technology. And, you know, lastly, what I want to say is, I think that Uh, industries like real estate uh, welcoming and absorbing and taking the changes in technology, for instance, Zoom and the opportunity for us to do what we're doing here is so important because it really has stuck uh, as a piece of our our real estate market. It's a piece of how we transact. And I think it's extremely important to adapt and to welcome that technology.
3: Right. I I agree with that as well. I mean, I think if the one good thing that came out of the whole two years of... Covid, it's the technology uh, technological advancements, and I think it's very important also for the international market. We're seeing that you know people overseas can confidently make offers, not not even being in the US, and they will come here and they'll just do one final walkthrough and then you know buy a property. You know, so um, yeah, you know, the, it's definitely it's definitely helped with selling for sure. Excellent. Well.
2: We're about out of time, and I appreciate all of your input and experience in uh, this conversation. Thank you all so much for being here, and thanks to our audience for tuning in. Please join us again tomorrow when Alyssa Corum and Scott LeClaire of Investor's Business Daily will talk about active trader tools, and they'll demonstrate how every investor can set up a screening routine that does the heavy lifting to uncover trade ideas tailored to their personality, goals, and preferences. Thank you all so much for listening. Take care and have a great day.
0: The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com.